Hello and welcome to the Lymphoma Talks podcast, a month-long podcast special featuring survivors, experts, and loved ones affected by lymphoma, brought to you by the 2022 Central Michigan University Bateman Competition Team. My name is Molly Anderson, and today I had the honor of interviewing Dr. Victor Yesbeck. He received his MD from St. Joseph University of Beirut, Lebanon, before coming to the United States to work as a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. Yesbeck completed his residency at the State University of New York Upstate Medical University and his fellowship at the University of Pittsburgh Cancer Institute, where he also received an MS in clinical research. Yesbeck specializes in hematology and oncology with his clinical and research interests focused on lymphoid malignancies starting from mouse modeling of human disease, preclinical drug testing, and well-designed innovative clinical trials. Yesbeck has received prestigious awards supporting his work from leading cancer organizations, including being named an LRF scholar from the Lymphoma Research Foundation. Thank you, Molly. So my name is uh, Victor Yasbeck. I'm an associate professor of medicine at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University, and also I'm the director of lymphoid malignancies at the Massey Cancer Center. Thank you so much for coming on today and being our first guest. As mentioned before, the goal of this podcast and our Fire Up Red campaign is to help educate listeners through engaging conversations regarding lymphoma with experts like yourself, and also spread awareness and guide listeners towards resources found on the Lymphoma Research Foundation website. So one of the first things my team and I did was design a survey and distribute it across CMU's campus to kind of understand the current knowledge of young adults regarding lymphoma and help us better understand how we can promote awareness of the disease. And so one of the first questions we asked them was, how aware are you of what lymphoma is? And we asked them to rate themselves on a scale from one to seven, One being, I never heard of it, to seven being, I'm extremely aware. And we had 107 responses. 9.3 of those responses rated themselves a seven, and 8.4% rated themselves a six. So these two groups felt that they knew um, what lymphoma was, and they felt that they were very knowledgeable. And that was a total of 19 people. However, the majority of our responses actually rated themselves a two and three, Uh, approximately 26.2% rated themselves a 3, and 21.5% rated themselves a 2, which is a total of 51 people, and the majority of our responses felt, you know, they're not really aware or sure what lymphoma is. You know, maybe they know it's a cancer, maybe they know it affects their lymph nodes, but they're not 100% sure, and they're not comfortable saying that they are aware of what lymphoma is. And so my first question for you from a medical perspective, what is lymphoma? So lymphoma is the uh, most common type of uh, blood cancer. Uh, they affect what we call lymphocytes, which are a type of your white blood cells. The lymphocytes usually are uh, the ones that are responsible for uh, finding infection. They're part of your immune uh, system. They travel through the blood and lymphatic system to defend the body against foreign invaders like your bacteria and viruses. For example, if you have a cold, uh, you can see swelling in your lymph nodes uh, around the uh, your uh, mandible here. So these are lymphocytes that get uh, recruited to the site of the infection to mount a response that prevents that infection from attacking uh, your body. So like any cells, these uh, lymphocytes can become cancerous and this is uh, when they become lymphomas. So usually they develop a change with a mutation in these lymphocytes and becoming abnormal cells that replicate faster 
then or live longer than your normal uh, lymphocytes. And being a lymphocyte, these cancer uh, cells or lymphomas can travel through the blood and lymphatic system and spread uh, in many parts of the body, including lymph nodes, spleen, bone marrow, and other organs. So I know that there's two different types of lymphoma, Hodgkin and non-Hodgkin lymphoma. What is the difference between the two? Correct. So there are two major types of lymphoma. As you mentioned, the Hodgkin lymphoma, which is around 10% of all uh, lymphomas in the U.S., and the other type is called non-Hodgkin lymphoma, which is the rest of the lymphoma, meaning 90%. So in the U.S., there is approximately 9,000 patients diagnosed each year with Hodgkin lymphoma, and there is close to 81,000 patients diagnosed each year with non-Hodgkin lymphoma. For mm -hmm. Hodgkin lymphoma, there are five types. Four are called classical Hodgkin lymphoma. The classical Hodgkin lymphoma has four subtypes, if you want, and they have specific uh, characteristic cells that can be seen under the microscope called Reed-Sternberg cells. Okay. I mentioned there are five types, so there is uh, four classical and one uh, called nodular lymphocyte predominant Hodgkin lymphoma. And these, the cells for this, specific to, to that type of Hodgkin lymphoma, are called popcorn cells. This is the way ha how they look under the microscope. The Hodgkin lymphoma spread what we call contiguously. So okay. the lymph nodes spread from one part contiguous to the other. They don't skip lymph nodes. On the other hand, the non-Hodgkin uh, lymphoma can spread non-contiguously, most likely through the blood. And non-Hodgkin lymphoma, which is, again, 90% of the cases of lymphomas, there are more than 90 different subtypes of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. And uh, they can be, if you want, named or characterized based on the cell that they come from, either B, T, or NK uh, cell lymphoma. And in general, B cell uh, non-Hodgkin lymphoma are the most common worldwide. They're around 90% of all lymphomas or non-Hodgkin lymphomas. Yeah, okay. So I kind of want to go back to what you said about, I think it was 9,000 Hodgkin and 81,000 non-Hodgkin cases. Is that correct? So you have 9,000 of Hodgkin okay. and 81,000 of non-Hodgkin lymphoma. So a total of 90,000 of lymphoma per year in the U.S. 10% of them are Hodgkin and 90% are non-Hodgkin lymphoma. So that number 90,000 stuck out to me because I remember when my team and I were doing research, we saw a statistic on the Lymphoma Research Foundation website, and it said nearly 90,000 adolescents and young adults each year are diagnosed with cancer, and one in five of those cancer diagnoses is lymphoma. So why is it that lymphoma is prevalent among the younger population ages 15 to 39? So, in fact, most lymphomas, like any cancers, they're more common in elder people. You know, they come with age because okay. age is a risk factor for a lot of cancers, including lymphomas. However, there is some certain subtypes of lymphoma that are seen more commonly in, uh, you know, adolescent and young adults, such as Hodgkin lymphoma, primary mediastinal uh, lymphoma, uh, Burkitt lymphoma. Um, they tend to occur in, uh, you know, at younger age. They can also occur at uh, elder age. Like for Hodgkin, you have two peaks. One is for the young generation and then another one in, in the elderly. Um, but I think what, what it's meant from these statistics is in terms of uh, the um, cancer that occur in the young, 
lymphoma is the most the most common among the cancer because it's just a, a very common cancer. Okay, so what are some common symptoms and warning signs people can look for? Yeah, that's a good question. We always, you know, ask uh, get asked this question by our patients. So we have what we call B symptoms, and these are three things. Mm-hmm. Uh, unexplained fever, so somebody doesn't have an infection and they have fevers, uh, two, uh, unexplained and unintentional weight loss, which usually we define losing around 10% of your uh, body weight in the, in the, next, uh, in the last uh, six months, and drenching night sweats. These are called what you call B symptoms, and they kind of tend to um, make you suspicious for uh, developing uh, lymphomas. Other symptoms include obviously swelling of the lymph node. Most of the time it's uh, non-painful. Sometimes you can get uh, fatigue, you know, itching and uh, chills. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I have to say that these symptoms are non-specific. And um, by themselves, they don't, you know, diagnose somebody with lymphoma. So if it's important that if anyone uh, have these symptoms, to contact their uh, either pediatrician or uh, primary care physician and have a thorough evaluation uh, for possible lymphoma. Most of these, you know, are usually part of a transient infection that, you know, the patient, uh, you know, get it and, um, you know, spent maybe a week or two. And after that, these are go- symptoms go away. But if they persist, I think they should be investigated thoroughly by uh, his or her primary care doctor or a pediatrician. So when someone goes to their primary physician or health center, what kind of tests are conducted to determine whether or not this individual has lymphoma? So typically, you know, most of people, uh, usually they uh, notice, uh, you know, a lymph, a lymph node, swollen lymph node mm-hmm. um, that's bothering them, either, you know, when they shave or when they take a bath. So, so they go to their, you know, primary care doctor, and most of the time, they presume it's an infection, and they give them a course of antibiotics. Uh, if it doesn't resolve, then they become suspicious about uh, this not being an infection and maybe a cancerous process. So they usually send them for the surgeon to get a biopsy. Okay. So we need two kind of important information to make, uh, you know, the uh, for lymphomas. One is we need to know the type of lymphoma. That's an important information. And two is to know the extension of the extension of the lymphoma, what we call staging. Mm-hmm. For the type of lymphoma, we need what we call an excisional lymph node biopsy. Doesn't, it's not enough to stick a needle and take a few cells uh, from the lymph node and uh, examine it because you might be missing the lymphoma or might be misdiagnosing it. So we actually need, ideally, take the full lymph node, uh, if possible, uh, and examine it under the microscope. The other piece of information is what we call staging. We want to see how much has the lymphoma spread. Is it just you know in one location or it's uh, spread across the body? And that's usually is done through an imaging uh, uh, method called the PET scan. In addition to these, a lot of lymphoma usually require a port placement and an echocardiogram to check the heart function prior to uh, chemotherapy. I know it probably depends on what type of lymphoma you have. And as mentioned before, there are many different types and subtypes, but what kind of treatment plans are out there for people? So the treatment, well, it depends on, 
you know, the type of lymphoma, as you mentioned. I mean, for treatment purposes, just to be, you know, to simplify things, we can lump these more than 90% different subtypes of lymphoma into three major categories. Mm -hmm. We can call them, one is the uh, indolent type of lymphomas, such as something like called follicular lymphoma. Uh, these uh, patients can be observed. We don't have to treat them. Uh, there are certain criteria to treat them. Uh, once they meet them, you know, we, we, uh, we start treatment. The second type is called aggressive lymphoma, something uh, like diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. These uh, patients cannot be observed. They have to be treated with uh, chemoimmunotherapy. And uh, these patients can be cured around, you know, more like around 60% of the time. And there is a third type of lymphoma or category of lymphoma called uh, highly aggressive lymphoma or aggressive uh, or uh, yeah, highly aggressive lymphoma, such as Burkitt lymphoma. And these patients require intensive type of chemotherapy for, the, for which they have to be usually admitted to the hospital to get this uh, type of, uh, of treatment. And, but these lymphomas are highly curable, close to 80% of the time. Yeah, so that's great to hear. Um, so we were talking about before that lymphoma is the most common blood type cancer and elderly and young people get diagnosed. But a lot of young adults have this common belief that it can't happen to me or it won't happen to me. You know, but we hear stories and we see it online and in social media or even in the news. And many still have this mentality that it won't happen to me. From your first-hand experience seeing young people with this disease, what advice would you give to those individuals? Yeah, that's a challenge because I think young age, you know, maturity level, capacity also of the patient to understand how serious is their disease mm-hmm. are all factors that affect uh, how uh, young adults, um, you know, are compliant with their treatment. And, and, and that in itself also affects their chance of cure. So you have, let's say, a highly curable disease like such as Hodgkin lymphoma or Burkitt lymphoma or prime destined B-cell lymphoma that can be highly curable with chemotherapy. Um, and these patients, you know, are not compliant with treatment or they, you know, don't follow through with their doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you could lose those patients while if they were sticking to the treatment plan, they would have to be cured. So my advice for young patients is to, you know, pick a doctor that uh, they are comfortable with and, and stick to the treatment plan. That's, that's key to have really a good outcome. That's great. And I know you have done some clinical research as well. So can you explain the clinical research you have worked on and are you currently working on any now? So I'm originally from Lebanon and uh, it's uh, there, it has the second largest incidence of lymphoma in the world, according to the WHO, uh, the World Health Organization. You know, in, in medical school, my thesis was on PET scan and lymphoma. As a medical student, I enjoyed the different subtypes of lymphomas because mm-hmm. some of them, as I mentioned to you, you can watch them, those are the indolent one. And on the other spectrum of the disease, you have those intensive or highly aggressive lymphoma, like Burkitt lymphoma, where they, you, you require intensive type of uh, uh, therapy. Uh, Furthermore, the lymphoma biology has really captured my curiosity. That's why I decided to, uh, you know, kind of dedicate my career or my research to to lymphomas and lymphoid malignancies. 
yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that about Lebanon. And I think it's great you found this strong passion for research. Um, now, when I was doing research about you prior to this interview, I discovered that you have been named a Lymphoma Research Foundation Scholar. So I kind of just want to know why and how did you get involved with the foundation? And for our listeners, can you explain the purpose of the LRF? Well, so the Lymphoma Research Foundation, uh, you know, has uh, kind of two major missions. One is to eradicate lymphoma. And the way they do that is by funding uh, innovative uh, research through grants and career development awards and so forth. And the other uh, mission is to touch the base, uh, touch uh, to help those who are touched by the disease. And this is by, uh, through sharing their uh, you know, research and uh, treatment insight uh, directly with the lymphoma committee through they usually do national education program and resources. So as a, um, a researcher, uh, I uh, was interested in lymphoma, um, so I uh, was, uh, uh, you know, um, interested in, in kind of being part of the uh, scientific mission of the uh, Lymphoma Research uh, Foundation. Uh, so um, I had, uh, you know, my own research and uh, I submitted the application uh, to be part of uh, uh, you know, the scholarship program to, uh, of the Lymphoma Research Foundation. And I was uh, lucky enough to be, to be accepted uh, part of uh, actually the Lymphoma Research Foundation uh, Clinical Research Mentoring Program and uh, receive a career development award from, uh, from the LRF. And LRF is the, I think it's the largest uh, foundation dedicated just for lymphomas. Yeah, it definitely is. And so that's why we want to help promote the foundation to help those affected by the disease, not only patients, but also their family members and encourage them to use the resources that the foundation provides. And as you mentioned, I saw you were a part of the LRF Clinical Research Mentoring Program. And um, I also saw online that you participated in a week-long intensive workshop as a LRF scholar. Can you explain what that entailed? So they developed uh, LRF, you know, to promote their mission, as I mentioned, to advance uh, lymphoma, uh, you know, treatment and science. Mm -hmm. They de developed uh, what we call LCRMP, Lymphoma Clinical Research Mentoring Program. It's a unique education and mentoring program for junior faculty that are interested in a career in lymphoma clinical and translational uh, research. So before you get to the uh, get selected, you know, you put an application, there is an application phase where interested researchers um, from the US, Canada, um, they submit a full application about their project and this gets reviewed. And there is a selection committee from senior, usually and informal researchers, and they pick, you know, few applicants uh, to be part of uh, the uh, LCRMP. So in that one week workshop, each participant is uh, Paired with a statistician and a mentor to help the applicant refine their proposal, get constructive uh, feedback. And during also that week, the applicants get formal lectures about you know different topic from statistical to clinical trial design to uh, you know how to be involved in uh, you know clinical research or cooperative groups. Uh, they have exposures to the leaders in lymphoma field. They have unparalleled networking uh, opportunities, collaborations, relationship between colleagues from uh, other university. 
And the, the beauty about the, the program is it really doesn't end in just one week. There is follow-up meetings and you have to put progress report uh, over uh, you know, the next uh, two years to keep you know, checking on how you're doing, you know, are you meeting your goals, uh, if you need you know, uh, some help. So it's really meant to uh, support and nurture the uh, young uh, researchers during a very important and sensitive uh, time during their career where just you know starting fresh so uh, they need all the support and LRF has put this program very nicely to provide uh, the support. That's great and I know you have done some clinical research as well so can you explain the clinical research you have worked on and are you currently working on any now? Yes so um, no, chemoimmunotherapy has uh, played really a major uh, impact in, in lymphoma's uh, you know, natural history. Uh, it's curative to a significant number of uh, aggressive uh, lymphomas. Uh, however, the way it works is non-specific. It kind of kills the uh, rapidly you know, dividing cells. And for that, it's usually associated with a lot of uh, you know, off-target, what we call them, non-specific side effects. So what I've been working on is uh, kind of develop a more targeted approach to attack specifically the cancer uh, lymphoma cells uh, and kind of spare the uh, normal cells. And uh, using what we call targeted agent or non-cytotoxic or non-chemotherapy based uh, approach, which is you know, more specific to the cancer cell um, and uh, to develop rational strategy to combine these different targeted agents using either preclinical models or by understanding how the resistance developed to these uh, agents and also using what we call uh, minimal residual disease as uh, an endpoint by itself in developing novel uh, design uh, for clinical trials. So I told you that chemoimmunotherapy is uh, curative in a significant number of uh, aggressive lymphoma, but there is a subset that uh, lack a gene called TP53, which is uh, make these uh, lymphomas, when they lack this gene, not responsive to chemoimmunotherapy, as if they had this gene. And so um, I think that, you know, um, developing therapies for this specific subset uh, is really an area of uh, unmet uh, medical need. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, one of the projects has been, you know, interested in. And um, we also um, are part of several clinical trials uh, by different uh, groups. And we really need clinical trials to be able to improve our current standard of care. So that's why I will take this opportunity to encourage every patient with lymphoma to seek a clinical trial for his or her disease. Yeah, that's great advice. And, you know, I think with new technologies and research, we are finding new ways to advance medicine and science. And I bet you see that too. And you're hopeful for the future advances in lymphoma treatment. Yes, absolutely. So we've been talking a lot about the Lymphoma Research Foundation. And so I want to inform our listeners about the resources provided. And do you often use those resources when treating patients? Yes. Yeah, so, well, uh, as a foundation that's dedicated for lymphoma, mm-hmm. so they have a website. Any patient can go there. 
uh, in their website, they have uh, different, you know, links for patients, let's say for uh, researchers, for, uh, you know, uh, clinicians and so forth. So there is a, a section there specifically dedicated for uh, patients. They also have a hotline where they can call. Uh, they have uh, uh, webinars, educational sessions. They do fundraising. Uh, they also do, I mean, they have uh, financial support. Um, they are huge resources. So when I see a patient in the clinic and I want to discuss about them, about, you know, treatment for their lymphoma, uh, I frequently refer the website for uh, Lymphoma Research Foundation uh, as, uh, you know, well-trusted, well-designed uh, websites or resources for them to know more about their lymphoma because you know these days everybody uses social media and you know when you use dr google you might you know end up in a you know on a website that might actually give you inaccurate information and might actually be i mean maybe hurting uh, your uh, your chances of cure so it's you know, important to get the right information, the correct information, and that's available through uh, the lymphoma website, the Lymphoma Research Foundation website. And you know, it does get also updated uh, routinely. So it's highly encouraged to uh, keep, uh, you know, keep track of, uh, as a patient, uh, keep track of, of, their, of their resources. Yeah, and have you seen those resources help your patients or their families? Yes, yeah, so uh, they can, you know, as I mentioned to you, see somebody is newly diagnosed or disease come back and they start on a new therapy. Uh, mm-hmm. So they can, you know, go there, you know, read more about it if, if they want to. Yeah. They can also, uh, you know, request, uh, you know, financial aid that's also uh, available. And for some uh, patients, if, you know, they want to give back, they have the opportunity to do that through the uh, Lymphoma Research Foundation, because when we uh, when we participate as you know scholars or uh, um, you know researchers in the uh, educational forum by the Lymphoma Research Foundation, there are always um, representative or examples of patients who attend, and uh, they can you know meet the researchers who are working on their disease, and it's kind of a uh, nice experience to have. Definitely, that's great. Uh, so that's all the questions I have for you today. Is there anything else you'd like to share about your work, the Lymphoma Research Foundation, or anything about lymphoma in general? Well, I think it's an exciting time in general in, in cancer research. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, you know, in, in lymphoma, there are a lot of new agents uh, coming on board. Uh, and it uh, can, can be challenging to keep track of uh, all the new stuff. So I really recommend uh, any a new patient to, um, you know, uh, pick a doctor uh, that they are comfortable with and, uh, you know, uh, stick with the treatment plan. That's, that's important. Uh, and uh, be active, be informed, uh, be part of the you know, groups, uh, support groups that's available now through uh, social media. And I highly, highly, highly encourage them to be involved as much as possible in uh, clinical trials. Mm-hmm. So because that's the only way we can, uh, you know, improve our current uh, standard uh, of care. And it's a lot of time is also uh, the only way to, for, for the patient to get access to novel agents 
that are not currently approved, let's say today, but they might become the new standard of care, you know, five years down the line or sometimes 10 years down, down the line. Yeah. So um, that's, uh, that's important to do. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time to talk to me and to help bring awareness to this cause. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much.